your Bible a little bit when it falls apart when you drop it. Okay, our scripture reading for today, there's a couple of different chapters. Um, first is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. If you'd like to look that up in your Bible or the Pew Bible or your electronic device, chapter 2, 1 through 7. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, that so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And the second reading is from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will be in all things grow up into him who, in, who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. All right, kids, we have worship kids tell, but before you go, come up here. We're doing this just like we did last week. Come here. We're doing the We Are the Church series. This is just the reminder that you guys are a part of our fellowship, too. We are brothers and sisters with you guys. And let's pray real quick before you go. Father, thank you for these fellow members with us. Pray that you would bless them as they learn about you. Bless us as we study your word. Speak to all of us sinners, though um, we are as we sit under it. And be with me, a sinner as I proclaim it. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Head to Worship Kids style. So just to orient us, if you weren't here last week, we have been preaching through the book of Revelation. That is on pause for three weeks because we are having a brief sermon series simply reflecting on the reality that we are the church. The church is not an institution. It's not a place you go on Sundays. It is um, not a set of staff people. It is a community of people living life together following Jesus. And last week we talked about that in terms of ownership. 
out of this passage from Ephesians 4, which we're actually going to come back to a little bit again today, but which is to say that we recognized there that, um, that each saint in the church is given the task of doing the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ until the whole church comes to resemble Jesus, and only when each part of us, each one of us is engaged in that calling, are we fully seeing the church become what Jesus desires it to be. And we said we were having that conversation, both because it's important in general, but also because there's a season coming, not immediately, but sometime in the future where Elizabeth's health, thanks to her challenges, where I'll be less able for a time to be engaged with some things, but we said that rather than seeing that as a time for us to just kind of stop being the church and wait for that to pass, that it's an opportunity for each of us to be the church. And I was really struck by that this week because of the way that Paul so beautifully expresses that in his letter to the Colossians, which we heard from. So he's writing to this church that he had never visited. Uh, Paul led this guy named Epaphras to the Lord and kind of mentored him, and Epaphras planted the church in Colossae. But Paul himself, when he's writing the letter, had never been to meet the Colossians. But in the first five verses of our reading, he expresses his heart for the church. In verse 1, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul says, I care deeply and love and am invested in you, even though we haven't been able to meet face to face. But then here's what he's praying for them. He says, He's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what I love about that prayer is that, um, is that it reflects this deep humility Paul has about his own ministry. Rather than assuming that the church in Colossae is somehow going to be hamstrung because he can't go there and lead them as an apostle, he says that his prayer is that their hearts, you know, may be knit together and they might reach all the riches of full assurance of the knowledge of God's mystery, all the treasures that are hidden in Christ, that his prayer is that they can find together as a church all of that stuff, even though we can't be with them. And he's glad to see the ways that's already coming through in their midst, he says. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So already, this church is starting to grow and be what Paul is praying that they would be. So the question for us this morning is, what is the thing that's happening at that church that that can be true? That Paul, even though he's planting these churches, and even though, you know, he's got this church that none of the apostles have been able to visit or lead, what is the thing? And the answer is discipleship, which we're going to define in just a minute. But an understanding of discipleship is what's helping that church grow. And so what we're going to do this morning is first we're going to discuss that in terms of us as individuals and the calling for each of us to be a disciple. And then we're going to discuss that in terms of us together as a community and the biblical calling that we have to be discipling each other. So that's what we're going to do. First, let's talk about it personally. Let's talk about being a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? At its simplest, being a disciple means being a follower. It means following a teacher or somebody and imitating their way of life and implementing their teachings. But verses 6 and 7 of Colossians 2, I think, give one of the best definitions in the Bible of what that means for a Christian. So let's dig into that. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... 
So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we're going to walk through that phrase by phrase, right? So first of all, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, which does not mean received Jesus into your heart. I think when we read that, that's how we hear it. But the Greek word for received there means like to receive a teaching or a tradition. It would be a, be a different word if it meant like received someone personally. And what he means by that is he means you have heard about Jesus. You were taught and heard about the way of life that Jesus lived and the work that he did in his cross and resurrection and the commandments that he gave to his followers. You've received this picture of who Jesus was as a person. And so therefore he says, walk in him. We've received this understanding of who Jesus is and what we're supposed to do is walk in him. Which So first, walk meaning an image of following Jesus, which is the way Jesus calls disciples in the Gospels. Come and follow me. It means a moving forward after and seeking to become more and more like this person. But we are walking in him, which does emphasize that there is this sort of personal relational element to it. It's not that we don't need to believe and, you know, and embrace this thing in that way, but it's that that's only a piece of it. It's that we're supposed to be walking forward each day in Jesus. And then that becomes even more clear in the next phrase, where we're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So he's saying all these things happen at once. First, you have this image of agriculture with roots sinking down. So our roots are sinking down into Jesus, which is an image of growing deeper and deeper into him. And then being built up, right, this image of like construction, that at the same time we are being kind of erected, built up, which evokes in other places in scripture the idea of we're being built up as God's temple. And we are being established in the faith. That word means to strengthen, right? So we're growing stronger and stronger in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we do that as we are taught, meaning based on the teachings of the apostles and prophets and scripture and overflowing with thanksgiving. That is the image of discipleship, that we hear about Jesus and we start to walk forward into that, digging our roots down into it, growing progressively upward into him. Um, and the ultimate goal of that is to make us be like Jesus. Jesus says it in John 6. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So the whole idea of discipleship is that we're growing more and more like Jesus. So that's the idea. But that can sound kind of abstract, and you might think, well, why wouldn't I believe that or something? So let me try to contrast that with two wrong ways, I think, that people talk about Christianity. All right? The first one is what I'm going to call conversion Christianity. And I'm going to put images of these up on the screen. Conversion Christianity says, here's the whole story. You have unbelievers, and what they need is to make a decision to become a Christian. And they pray a prayer, respond to some call. They say, Jesus, save me. And then... That's it. They're Christians. Job done. That is the kind of image of conversion Christianity. And to be clear, oftentimes that's done in reaction to an even worse thing. I'm not even going to put an image, which is cultural Christianity, which is just, oh, you know, your parents were Christians, you're an American, you're a Christian, you're good. It is true that there's a conversion that is necessary. But the problem is that it makes Christianity this one decision that happens once, and then it, it doesn't really have any bearing on the rest of your life. Maybe you avoid doing really terrible stuff. Um, and then you go to heaven when you die, I guess. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell us how am I supposed to live. Let me give a second wrong view, which is better, but still wrong. And that is what I'm going to call commitment Christianity. Commitment Christianity. 
And it says that for, you start with a decision, and to be clear, all three of these views, including the right one, are going to start with conversion, right? <laughs> you know, there is this decision. But what happens then is you're just what they tend to call like a carnal Christian, or someone who knows Jesus as Savior but doesn't really know him as Lord. And then they say that there's some later point where you have this place where you really make a commitment to Jesus, right? That you fully surrender to him. You say, it's enough, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus for real and follow him as Lord as well as Savior. And at that point, you commit your life and fully surrender to him. Um, although in that model, even people who kind of teach it would recognize that doesn't last is the issue. And so then what happens after a week or a month or a year, if you're really disciplined, is that you kind of end up being a carnal Christian again, and you're not really surrendered to Jesus. And so you have another experience, make another commitment. This is sort of the model that you get a lot of times at sort of meetings and camps and stuff. And like we said, this view is better than the first one because it recognizes that after conversion, there's stuff that's supposed to happen, right? <laughs> that, you know, that there's a sort of like surrendering and committing to Jesus that's supposed to happen. And that's true. But there's two issues with it. One is the whole idea of carnal Christianity because that's just not a biblical category. <laughs> In scripture, somebody who claims that Jesus is their savior but does not say to him, Lord, is an unbeliever. <laughs> and, um, and the problem with that idea of carnal Christianity is actually that it robs the gospel of any power. It says that you can somehow believe the gospel, but that won't change anything. Then you need some other thing later that will actually get you fully surrendered or committed to Jesus. And the other issue with this approach is that it tends to be all or nothing in a way that really wrecks people's ability to actually grow. So let me use an example. Let's say that I have a terrible pray, prayer life, right? I almost never pray. When I do, it's just because, like, I think I'm going to get fired at work. And so I'm like, Jesus, please don't let me get fired. Um, and so I have that. And then I have this image of Jesus, right, and of what Scripture says, which is that we should be praying without ceasing and having periods of intense, intentional prayer and throughout our days lifting up our hearts to God in praise and thanksgiving and confession and, and asking him for things and praying his mission. All, you know, this image, right? And it says, here's where I am. Here's this image. What I need to do it, when I'm here is decide to be this, right? I need to, like, commit myself to, to prayer and fully surrender my prayer life to Jesus. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> like, you cannot go from not praying to praying without ceasing as, as a person. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So what happens is you try, and then, like, two days later, you're like, oh, I, you know, I fell off the wagon, and you just give up. So those are both wrong. Let me try to express the biblical picture, and I'm just going to call it discipleship Christianity, although obviously I just think this is Christianity. Um, first, you'll notice there isn't a, a carnal Christian category. When you convert, when you become a Christian, you immediately are supposed to become a disciple, right? You, you are supposed to be following after Jesus from day one, and your goal is Christ-likeness, which is, you know, up there at the top. That's what you're headed for. But on day one, you are you are not anywhere close to that. In fact, you probably don't even know a lot of what goes into that process of growing as a disciple. And so then what you do is you start to learn. Incrementally, step by step, you say, okay, what is the next thing I need to learn? What's the next way God is calling me to grow? And you move forward in that kind of growth. And, um, but you'll notice, though, that it's growth, right? It's a journey, and our expectation is that it will be incremental. That line kind of looks like the stock market, and even at the end, you'll notice it hasn't arrived at full Christ-likeness. Here's how the theologian Dallas Willard describes discipleship. He says, It is the relationship I stand in to Jesus Christ in order that I might take on his character. As his disciple, 
I am learning from him how to live my life in the kingdom as he would if he were I. The natural outcome is that my behavior is transformed. Increasingly, I routinely and easily do the things that he said and did. So again, let me try to describe what that means for prayer, all right? We said we've got that all-or-nothing commitment model. Here's what discipleship would say. Instead of saying, are you perfectly Christ-like, it would say, are you growing? Which is to say, let's say you spend like five minutes in prayer. In discipleship, that's not inherently a good or bad thing. The question is, where were you a couple years ago, right? Where were you last year compared to that? And if the answer is zero minutes, then five minutes is excellent. But then the next question is, how are you going to be engaging and growing that? to 10 or 15 minutes or incorporating other habits to be more prayerful in your life. And as long as you are seeking to grow in those ways, you are being a disciple. The only way I should note that you can do that is with a strong sense that the gospel is the ground on which you stand. Because inherent to the discipleship model is that you have to admit that you are always, to some extent, failing. <laughs> you have never arrived at Christ-likeness. And the only way you can do that is with a strong sense that it is not my good works, it is not my growth that justifies me, it is Jesus' love and, gr and grace. And also that model includes accounting for hard seasons in life. Like I said, it's not a straight line, and that's because discipleship recognizes that there are seasons where I might not be feeling that growth on a really surface level, maybe because life is really beating me up, maybe because it's just a spiritually dry time, like Jesus falling under the weight of the cross, and that isn't opposed to discipleship, but what discipleship would say is that we always ought to be saying, even in those seasons, that what I'm seeking to do is to get up and continue to walk forward into Christ. So that's the idea of discipleship. Here's the question I want to ask about that before I talk about us being a church who disciples each other together, and it's simple. It is, are you, are we today seeking to grow? Are you seeking to to grow and take the next step. And if the answer is yes, even if you've only taken a few steps, even if they're feeble and struggling and stumbling, if your answer is yes, then the good news is you are being a disciple. And that is very encouraging to me. I am not where I should be in every area of the Christian life. I'm continuing to grow. I'm seeking, and as a pastor, right, like I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be qualified and, you know, and I meet those kind of things, but that's not Christ-likeness. And there's lots of ways where I'm like, man, I have a lot of growing left to do. And I grew up in that kind of commitment model where like I went forward like 50 times, right, trying to be like, this time I'm really gonna, <laughs> you know, gonna be just like Jesus and really commit to that. And it never worked. And it is such a balm in many ways to my heart to be able to say, seeking to grow. These are the things I am working on right now, and that is enough. So if that is you, I want you to feel encouraged in that, because I think it's so easy otherwise to feel beaten down. If your answer is no, you are not right now seeking to grow. That is a more complicated discussion. So let me suggest that you reflect on maybe you're in one of three places, right? Because this isn't simple. One, it might just be a result of bad teaching or of you not kind of in your heart recognizing the truth of scripture. There are sadly places where, you know, you, you commit, you know, you pray a prayer and you put some money in the plate and show up on Sundays and people are like, sweet, that's all, check that box, you're good. And if that is you, then you've been lied to. That is not the vision of walking and being a disciple and growing in Christ-likeness that scripture has. So if that's you, I just invite you into this stuff. Second, two, if your answer to that is no, you might be 
in a hard season in life. One of the issues that we have is that, A, even if we're growing as a disciple, there are seasons where it doesn't feel like it at all. And B, there are times, especially for some of you that are in the midst of more acute suffering, where you just, you know, you're just holding on. And that is also okay. But if that is you, I would just encourage you to, again, to be seeking to not let that discouragement or that season define you, but to be seeking to do those things that lead to and contribute to growth and seeking the help of the church as you do that. Um, But I don't want discipleship to be a burden around your neck. Third, there's a third possibility if your answer is no, and this is the hard one. You might not be a Christian. Um, I'm not peering into your heart. It's not my job to judge. You need to sort that out with the Lord. But my concern sometimes is that we never say that in this conversation. But if you, if you have never experienced any growth or, or engagement with God, if you like, if, if like when you were 15, you had this really cool experience at camp, and you are 50 now, and there's been nothing for the last 35 years, like that is not the, the life of Christ that you've been invited into. And I don't say that to be harsh. I say that to say um, there is something more than what you've experienced that is available to you. And I just want you to, to feel that because the, the issue is that, again, like, I feel like there's this thing that happens sometimes where you say, like, you know, like, Christianity is just like, you know, check that box and you're good to go. And, and you've checked that box and you've never experienced any true conversion, any true engagement with God, any true moving of the Spirit, any, you know, any growth ever. And, but you think like, oh, well, that's, that's all that this is, right? Like, you know, it's not that big a deal. I've kind of tried the Christian thing. And it just breaks my heart because there is a real um, living, relational, beautiful thing that you have available. Not that it's not hard, not that it's not taking up your cross, but I, yeah, my heart breaks for you if you're there, and I just ask you to wrestle with that. That's, a, that's discipleship. We're called to be disciples. But then the second thing I want us to see this morning is that we're also called to disciple each other. We are called to disciple each other. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Great Commission, which is what we call Jesus' commandment to his first followers right after his resurrection and before he ascends into heaven— Uh, This is what he says. He says, Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' interest is not the church making converts. (laughs) Jesus' interest is the church making disciples. And he's got that first to last, right? From from baptism and marking them out as the people of God, to teaching them to observe every command (laughs) that, you know, that I have given you. Like, that's his goal. The mission of the church in that holistic way is to help people continually be growing and being disciples. Here's the big idea I want to suggest this morning, which is that calling of making disciples, that is a calling that is crucial for us to be the church, and it is a calling that each one of us has given to us in our lives. It's not just the job of some guy up front, and that's where Ephesians 4 comes in. If you weren't here last week, brief summary of Ephesians 4, um, Jesus gave pastors and leaders to the church in order to equip the saints, and then the saints' job is to do the work of ministry and build up the body of Christ, and that's what's happening as we each are doing that and building each other up and in our own unique gifted ways. The church is more and more coming to look like Jesus in the world. That's the goal. 
And that might strike you even just running through that. That kind of sounds like discipleship, right? <laughs> that, you know, the church together corporately is supposed to be growing in Christ-likeness, just like an individual. Now listen to how Paul says that happens. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the way this happens, he says, is that first we speak the truth in love to each other, which means that we're both speaking God's truth to each other and doing it in a context of loving relationship and support and care. And, um, and we do that in a way that stresses that every joint is important. Every member is supposed to be a part of this process, both in terms of learning and being built up and in terms of teaching and doing the building up. And that then as those members somehow almost work on each other, that that's what's causing the church to grow in that way. When we think about discipleship, we think about how people grow, right? How, how do you grow as a disciple, a follower of Jesus? We tend to list personal practices, like reading your Bible and prayer and developing good habits and seeking to turn from sin, all of that stuff. And all of that is a part of being a disciple of Jesus. But in Scripture, the main way people grow as disciples is through other disciples being in relationship with and teaching them. In Scripture, the main way people grow as disciples is through other disciples being in relationship with and teaching them. In fact, that is the pattern of the New Testament church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, he's not saying imitate me in everything, but he's saying inasmuch as I am imitating Christ, you can learn how to follow Jesus by imitating me. And in, um, in 2 Timothy, he actually sees this as like a, an expansive mission. So he's talking, Timothy is one of the people that Paul discipled and mentored and poured his life into and showed kind of how to minister. But he says this, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, so what you've heard from me, entrust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's like, I've given this to you, Timothy, and you train other people in how to follow Jesus so that those people can then train even other people in how to follow Jesus. And you see how that process of discipleship is being transmitted through those relationships. Let me try to help us visualize what that looks like for an actual church, okay? How do we make disciples of each other? Uh, there's kind of like these three concentric circles. I like three concentric circles. I don't know. We had a new members class, and I have another diagram that's the same as this, but about something else. But um, the central circle is gathered worship. Um, gathered worship is an important part of discipleship. It is the church as a whole coming and kind of being the church together. And it is the place that I kind of, I guess, do the most discipling, right, in terms of that's what this is. <laughs> um, that, you know, it's hopefully helping us grow as disciples. But that's the smallest circle. It has major limits. I mean, look, like an hour and 15 minutes of worship and like a 35-minute sermon on Sunday is not enough to counteract like the 24-7 impact of the world and the flesh and temptation and all of that stuff. The second circle is other, what I'll call formal ministries of the church, which is to say in addition to Sunday worship, of course, there's all kinds of other things we try to do to help people grow as disciples, right? We have women's retreats, like we did this you know, yesterday, which was great. And we have Bible studies and small groups and adult ed classes and special kind of training times on different things. There's all these things that we do to try to help people grow as disciples, and that's great, but that's still limited. And there's the third circle, and it is the biggest and most important, and it is personal relationships. 
informal personal relationships between believers in the church. And those relationships can take a lot of forms. When we talk about making disciples of each other, maybe some of you have been exposed. In some churches, there's this really like formal model almost that they adopt. It's like mentorship sort of, where you have kind of more mature Christians, you know, intentionally mentoring specific less mature Christians. Um, and that has real power, right? I don't, I don't think it works to have a church structure where every single person is required to do that or something. But, but the reason I am where I am is because there was an older dude when I was 15 years old who was like, how about if we meet once, you know, every Saturday, let's get together and talk about Jesus for an hour, Eric. And he did that for four years. Besides my parents, like nobody has had more spiritual influence on who I am today than that. But it can also be, it doesn't have to be that. A lot of it is just natural friendships and relationships. We as Christians should spend time together. Each of us will naturally develop different connections to each other. It doesn't have to just be one-on-one. But the thing to stress about those relationships is those are informal but intentional relationships. Informal meaning that it's not, again, a like programmatic thing, but intentional meaning that we are not just hanging out. We are saying that what we're trying to do is help each other grow as Christians. And so we're having conversations about Jesus and asking each other where we're at and being intentional about praying for each other and opening God's word together and doing things that help those personal relationships be a means through which discipleship is happening. So how do we apply that then? That's going to be our question. How do we put that into practice? Let me just say, reflecting personally, that I have become increasingly convinced over the last couple of years of how important this is. And there are ways I have changed even like my rhythms as a minister to try to you know, be seeking to invest in specific people, and I intend to continue growing in that. But that's not just something that I can do. Again, like we said, that personal, right, third circle is really the most important for the health of the church. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to just say, I want to give three groups that you're going to, you're probably going to fit into two of these groups, at least one of them. Um, And I'm going to say, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to think about doing something. First, let's say that you're a new disciple right? We, we have that chart up there. And maybe that's because you are a new Christian, but maybe it's because while you've grown up around the church, you've never really had that growth and training, you know, and you are just like, you feel like you're just a baby at the beginning. If that is you, then, um, then I would encourage you. This is going to be, you're, I'm going to say this and you're going to think, I can't do that. Listen, you can. I'm going to encourage you. Find somebody you know who is farther along spiritually and just be like, hey, like, can you help me with this? Can you, can, you know, can we maybe get together some and you, like, you know, show me, like, how to pray or how to read the Bible or how to, you know, behave in this way that, you know, that's honoring to Jesus? And look, that will be awkward for you, and it will be awkward for them. And I'm going to talk to them in just a minute, in fact, right? But, but both because they've probably never had someone ask them that, and because as Midwesterners we have this silly idea that humility means pretending like we're terrible at everything. And, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons it's going to be awkward, right? But— I would encourage you to seek to do that. One other note about that. Um, If you're wondering about that and you're in a certain place, I know this can be an issue. Um, When we say seeking out someone more mature in your faith, that does not necessarily mean someone older than you. It often can, and especially if you're a young person, you should not find another young person. There's this kind of like, you know, (laughs) the, the blind leading the blind that happens a lot there. Seek an older, wiser saint. But it's also true that like, 
you might just be starting out and you might be 75, and that's fine, right? <laughs> like you can engage with that call to discipleship there. There might be someone who's 50 who's walked with the Lord for decades, and that's who you're going to learn from. All right. Second group, let's say that you have some maturity in your faith. And look at me. I'm saying that intentionally. You have some maturity in your faith. I do not mean that you have it all figured out and that you're like Jesus. Like, a lot of people are like, I can't really help somebody grow until I am perfectly like Jesus. And look at me. You will never get there, but you're supposed to help people grow. And if you think you've gotten there, you should not be doing this <laughs> because you're wrong and it will be really destructive, right? Like, the, the people who think they're the most Christ-like are often not the people that you want to be showing you how to be like Jesus. But if that is you, be looking for people that you can help grow. Potentially even like mentor and pour into in that individual way, but at the very least, someone you can invest in. And, and let me try to help you, because I think this idea of maturity is hard. Like, I'm going to put—this is arbitrary. Here's nine areas. This is not exhaustive, where we as Christians are called to grow, right? Prayer, scripture, family life, evangelism, personal character, loving relationships, vocation and finances, service, church engagement. I mean, there are people who are just starting out in the Christian walk— who don't have a clue about any of those things, right? And when I say you have some maturity, I don't mean that you are, like, nailing all of those things perfectly. I mean that, like, there's some of those things that you probably have some real insights in. So just be thinking about that and looking for ways you can help people grow. So that's two groups. And then this is where I'm going to cheat. The third group is all of us, <laughs> or every one of us. This is the other thing I'd ask you to do, which is let's seek to spur each other on in the process of discipleship. Let's seek to be spurring each other on in the process of discipleship. I'm going to put that list up again. Um, here's the thing to think about, right? For many of us, it won't be as simple as like, here's a really mature person, here's a brand new Christian. We're kind of, we feel like we're kind of in that messy middle of that, right? But here's the, what's great about the church is that you are probably gifted or stronger in some of those areas. And you're weak in some of those areas. And there are other people who are gifted in other of those areas. And the beauty of the church is that you can say, you know what, like, you don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to make a budget. Like, let's sit down and, and let's learn from each other. And, and, I mean, obviously it doesn't have to be that formal, but that's how Ephesians 4 is actually working, is that each part of the church is sort of building up other parts, just in that kind of, like, you know, like people walking side by side after Jesus, helping each other grow. And as they're doing that, they're growing more and more into Jesus. But again— that will also take some intentionality. It will take us in our friendships and relationships with each other saying, like, where do you feel like you're, you know, you're struggling? Or where, where are you at on this? And, you know, and helping each other grow. So that's what I'm asking you to do before I leave that application and we wrap up, though. There's one last specific group of people I want to talk to. And I'm cheating because I said there were three. But that is men. <laughs> Guys, I want to especially talk to us because, frankly, women are a lot better at a lot of what I've just said. Um, part of that is because in our culture, men tend not to have very deep, strong relationships, and I get that. And part of that is that um, in our culture, we have this idea that we're supposed to be experts at everything and have it all figured out and fake it till you make it. And there are places, like especially in vocationally, where that might be true, and you, and you have to kind of do that. But um, we don't show any vulnerability. We feel like we've got to act like we have it all together, and that keeps us from engaging in that process. And so, guys especially, I just want to say, we have a calling as men to take responsibility in our families and in our churches and in our world 
Women have a calling too, don't <laughs> but, 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 you know, like you are called to engage with those things, following Jesus. And, um, and spiritually, a lot of why many of us aren't engaging with those callings is because we've never really been engaged in that process of growing as disciples. And so I just want to invite you, if you're a guy, um, especially, although for all of us, let's be intentional about thinking about how we can kind of have people help us grow in those ways. All right. As we close, I want to just come back to that idea of discipleship as a whole and say one last thing about it, which is the beautiful thing about that calling is that it actually has enormous power in the world. Um, as we grow as disciples and help others grow, what Ephesians 4 pictures is happening is Jesus is becoming kind of physically present in the world through us. And if that is true, then growing as disciples together and individually is one of the most earth-shaking powerful things the church can do. I quoted Dallas Willard earlier. He says this. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, the greatest issue is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That is, in so many ways, the ultimate and most important question for us as a church. The world is not transformed just by people saying they're Christians. It is not transformed by cultural Christianity, but discipleship, growing together as God's body to more and more embody him in the world is the sort of thing that can truly be used by God to change our world. So let's give ourselves and grow in that call. Father God, pray that you would be with us now as we seek to grow <clears throat> as your disciples. Pray that you would call us ever onward into Christ's likeness and help us to build each other up. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.